um, just uh, I wanted to I wanted to bring a clarification from last week's message before Pastor Mark comes this morning. So that's why I stepped up here. You're like, wait a minute, I thought Pastor Mark was preaching this morning. Hey, so last week we were talking about um, just the son confessing church, and and one of the things that we talked about was that we will have intimate knowledge of and confess the exclusive claims of Jesus Christ. And so you know he said. Um, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's John 14, 6. And so I had mentioned to you, you know, that I don't, I don't like the phrase, you know, all roads lead to heaven because they don't. But all roads do lead to God. And I used a couple of passages of Scripture uh, to talk about that. We all are going to stand before God uh, someday and give account. Uh, but two of the ones that I used, um, 2 Corinthians 5, 10 and Romans 14, 10 to 12, I, I kind of led you to believe that like those passages are talking about uh, both believers and unbelievers and uh, that they're going to stand before God in judgment. But I want you to understand there's two, there's two judgments that are going to take place. You have the judgment seat of Christ, which we see in Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to 12, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15. Those, that judgment seat of Christ is for believers only. So I don't want you to be confused there, and I, I think I... I misstated last week, uh, leading you to believe that that those two passages were talking about, you know, judgment for both believers and unbelievers. Now, there are passages of Scripture that talk about the the judgment. It's called the great white throne judgment, and we see that in Scripture. So when I say that all roads lead to God, and we are going to stand before God in judgment, we are, but I didn't want you to be confused that these two passages that I used are telling us that. That's for the believers. There are a couple uh, that I just want to share with you this morning that are talking about this great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers. And so we see in Revelation chapter 20, uh, verses 11 to 15, uh, this is what one of the passages of Scripture, they're talking about the great white throne judgment. And uh, so it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky, uh, fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, although another, uh, um, another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead and, and, and that were in, them, in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And then we also see uh, back in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 9, verse 27, we want to see this. Um, well, I have it marked, but my mark doesn't want to. There we go. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Again, that's talking about the great white throne judgment uh, for unbelievers. And so um, I appreciate the individual that pointed this out to me last week. So thank you. I'm always open for you to come and, and say, hey, I don't know about this. I'm, you might have misstated something. You might have misinterpreted that. Or, and so please, because we want to make that correct. We want to make sure that we're rightly dividing the word of truth. So thank you to that person that, that pointed this out. And I wanna, just want to say I apologize uh, for perhaps misleading you. Um, and so I wanted to just clar- make that clarification today for you. And if you have any more questions, don't hesitate to come and talk with me about it. So uh, thank you. Pastor Mark, looking forward to the message this morning.
So this morning we're going to continue our sermon series on the eight marks of the church. So far we've looked at the spirit-filled church and the son-confessing church. This morning we're going to be looking at the scripture-keeping church. So each week we've started with a myth about the church. The first two myths have been perpetuated by people who want to take the power away from the Holy Spirit. So that was a spirit-filled church. And then with the son-confessing church, people want to reduce Jesus to just another person, another good person. Or even as C.S. Lewis put it, make Jesus out to be a liar and a lunatic. But our myth this morning is perpetuated by people who want you to believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is just another book. And it's because they don't want to live under its authority, or ultimately under God's authority. These myths about the church are misguided, they're dangerous, or both, which is why we need to be on guard in the church and be reminded of the truth. The myth or urban legend I'm going to recount to you this morning is from the 1970s. It's the death of life serial spokesperson Mikey. Some of you might remember him. This new cereal was being introduced. It was supposed to be good for you. The two brothers aren't going to try it because it's good for them. So they put it in front of their younger brother, Mikey. And Mikey's the kid that hates everything. So they believe there's no way he's going to like it. But of course, as the commercial goes on, he does like it, to their shock. But the following comes from, from an August 19th, 2001 article by Jake Rossett about the origins of urban legends. In the 1970s, Mikey, the star of Life Serial Commercials, was a big hit. At some point, word spread that Mikey had succumbed to a dangerous combination of soda and the effervescent candy Pop Rocks. The rumor grew so widespread that in 1979, the mother of child actor John Gilchrist, who played Mikey, got a condolence call from a stranger. The story likely stemmed from schoolyard discussions about Pop Rocks, which were fizzy carbonated candy, and how eating them seemed dangerous. So now, of course, it wasn't. But the story was so widely believed that it seriously damaged sales of the candy. General Foods, which owned Pop Rocks, even begged John Gilchrist's parents to let him film a commercial letting people know that he was still alive. But they refused. The grisly story continued for years, and all the negative publicity forced, finally forced General Foods to discontinue Pop Rocks soon after. But they have made a comeback, so you know, if you're interested in trying out the theory for yourself, you can. This myth was misguided, but it's interesting in showing us how rumors can start and how they can cause harm. This morning's myth about the church falls under the dangerous category. And the myth we're going to talk about and study today is that you can believe what you want about the Bible and be a healthy church. This is a dangerous myth because if you can put doubt in someone's mind, even about the smallest things in God's word, you can cause people to not believe the bigger doctrinal truths found there as well. This undermines not only God's authority, but the deity of, Jesus, of Christ, his work on the cross, sin, salvation, and so much more. God's word points us to our creator who loved us and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. It tells us how we are to live on this earth and how we can have eternal life. If you don't believe that the Bible is truth, you may not believe that Jesus Christ and what he came to do on this earth was true. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. And now your salvation could be in jeopardy. 
it's definitely, definitely a slippery slope. But before we begin to dive into our scriptures this morning, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to your Holy Spirit. Pray, Lord, you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth. Help us, Lord, to use your word as a light for our path as we navigate our lives in this world that we live in. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first point this morning is the scripture-keeping church and the teachings of Jesus. Found in John 14, and I'm going to go 21 and then verses 23 to 24. This is what God's word says. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So I want to take a minute and remind you of what God's word says about itself. God's word is truth. God's word is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is a lamp and a light. It is God-breathed and eternal. It is successful in that it will accomplish God's purposes no matter what. It will not come back void. God's word is able to save our souls and can keep us from sin. It cleanses us and will keep our way pure. God's word is inerrant and infallible. Those are things that are true of God's word. Just because someone doesn't believe these things about the Bible doesn't mean it's anything less than those things. It is still God's perfect word given to show us what he is like, to show us how to live life on this earth in obedience to him, and to point us to the author and finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. But we have a problem. It's not a new problem. The problem is that people take the parts of the Bible they disagree with and say it's okay to not believe this or that, all the while still calling themselves Christians and claiming to be in a relationship with Jesus. You know, there are non-negotiable doctrines in God's word that must be believed in order to call yourself a Christian. It just makes sense. But there are also non-doctrinal things in the Bible that on the face of it, you might say, it, it's okay, it's no big deal if I, if I believe this or that, or if I don't believe this or that. Believing whatever we want about the Bible is dangerous for numerous reasons concerning our faith. And once we decide to not believe one thing here or there, it's easy to not believe more and more as time goes by. So in our scripture this morning, Jesus said, to those who has and keeps his commands is the one who loves them. You know, and we find these commands in the Bible, in God's word. To have the commands of Jesus means to make them your own, to take them into your heart, mind, and soul. To keep his commands means to obey them. It means to live them out in our daily lives. And it's more than just having a head knowledge of God's word. It goes deeper than that. It should go down to our very hearts and our very souls. To use a sports metaphor, we need to eat, sleep, and breathe God's word. Every ounce of our being, 
every single second of every day should be in obedience to every word in the Bible. We can't pick and choose what we want to believe or not believe. The mark of true love, the mark of a true Christian, and the mark of a healthy church is obedience to the entirety of God's word. If we love Jesus, we will prove it. Not, we will prove it by keeping his word. Not just keeping the way we want to keep it. Not just believing the parts we want to believe. But by, leaving it, by believing it as the inerrant, infallible word of God. Not adding to or subtracting from it. The person who believes in the word of God this way will be loved by the Father. And the Father and the Son will make their permanent abode or dwelling with them. If we believe the word of God in these ways we will experience the immediate presence of God. Then Jesus follows up telling us one of the reasons it's dangerous to believe what you want about God's word. Because those who do not believe in and obey God's word prove they do not love Jesus. Our love for God and Jesus is shown through our obedience to his commands and teachings found in the Bible. You can't have it both ways. We can't consider ourselves a Christian and pick and choose what we want to obey in the Bible. Just like we can't be a healthy church and obey what we want in the Bible. The mark of a healthy church is believing what the Bible says and showing our love for Jesus and the Father by being obedient to everything it says. It's important that we mention both Jesus and the Father here because the words found in the Bible are not only Jesus' words, but they're the Father's words as well. There is no higher authority. But isn't it interesting that we want to be the highest authority ourselves so we only believe and obey what we want about God's word and we change it to fit what we believe. The second point is the scripture-keeping church and the teaching of the early church found in Acts 2.42. This is what God's word says. Follow along as I read that. I'll give you a few seconds. Acts 2.42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This verse tells us about another mark of a healthy church. A healthy church in the first century and today is marked by the apostles' teaching. Acts chapter 2 tells us of the story of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit came down as tongues of fire and rested on the disciples, filling them and allowing them to speak in tongues. Peter then stands up and links the Old Testament text with the ministry of Jesus. And Acts 2.41 says, there were 3,000 converted that day. This was the power of Jesus' teaching passed down through the disciples to the people. This was the apostles' teaching, which was everything Jesus told his disciples while he was on the earth. God told Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, and they told the rest of the world. The apostles' teaching was authoritative because it was teaching, it was the teaching of the Lord communicated through them. And this teaching would take the written form of the New Testament scriptures that we have today. The Christian church is most readily recognizable in those churches which has continued steadfastly and the apostles' teaching from the first century until present day. And I want to include that includes us here at Idaville Church. 
Barclay says it was a learning church. The word teaching or doctrine in verse 42 is not passive, it is active. The phrase means they persisted in listening to the apostles as they taught. Christianity is not a static relationship. It's an active relationship in pursuit of God and Jesus more and more each day. It's not being content with sitting idly by, but by learning from and obeying God's word daily. We can't know God's word without reading and studying it. We can't obey God's word without reading and studying it. And we can't believe God's word without reading and studying it. The mark of a healthy church is knowing God's word, obeying God's word, and believing God's word entirely from cover to cover. So I like what Wearsby says. The 3,000 converts needed instruction in the word and fellowship with God's people if they were going to grow and become effective witnesses. The early church did more than just make converts. They made disciples. They were in line with the Great Commission found in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, which says this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. There it is. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see our mission statement here, pursue, grow, multiply disciples. That embodies this. This is what Audeville Church is all about. This is our DNA. If we're going to be a healthy church, we must make disciples who also make disciples. And this is done through teaching what the Bible says and teaching obedience to everything the Bible says. Third point this morning is the scripture-keeping church and the teaching of the apostles. And we're going to see this in the teaching of Paul the Apostle. That's found in 2 Timothy 3.16. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a few seconds. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3.16, this is what God's word says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What does it mean that Scripture is God-breathed? It means that the power of God's Word to change a person's heart and bring about obedience to its teachings is because the Bible originates with God. He is the final authority on all things, and because of that, the Bible is true and dependable. The doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture is vitally important to the Christian faith. Satan has been attacking it since the beginning. Is it any surprise that people try to prove that God did not create the heavens and the earth? as we see in Genesis 1.1, or well, that people question and disregard the commands and teachings of Jesus in the Bible. The world does not want to accept that God has complete and final authority over every aspect of their lives. The Holy Spirit used men like Moses, David, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter and Paul to write the word of God. God prepared, prepared them for that task, and this supernatural influence on the writers guaranteed that what they wrote down was accurate and trustworthy. Paul goes on to tell us that this God-breathed inspiration is profitable or useful for four things. The first is for teaching or instruction. When we teach the word of God, we are instructing others 
about what it says and how it can be applied to all of our lives. The Word of God is our guidebook for life and our code of conduct for the Christian life. If something happens in your life or you have a question about life, you can be assured that it can be found in the Bible. It can instruct you in your daily lives if you allow it to. The second and third are rebuking and correcting. This is the disciplinary authority of Scripture given to us and the church. God's Word commands us not only about church discipline, but it's also our guidebook in implementing church discipline. Because the Bible is God-breathed inspiration, and because it reveals the truth, it exercises authority over those who disobey it and sin against it. Rebuking is pointing out sin and confronting disobedience. Correcting is the gracious, loving, yet firm way we are to guide an individual back into obedience. Now, of course, we definitely don't do this well in the church today. I think one of the things we've forgotten is the concept of reconciliation that the Bible talks about. <clears throat> Neither side is gracious, loving, or repentant. And that makes it difficult for reconciliation to take place in, in, uh, in the church. The fourth thing God's word is useful for is training in righteousness. God's word shows us how to conduct our lives, how to be holy, how to mature in our faith, becoming more like Jesus. I like how our church themes of unity, holiness, and love for one another fit so well here. It's because they're biblical. Jesus commands his people to be unified, holy, and loving towards one another. And Wearsby sums up these four things about God's word in this way. They are profitable for doctrine or teaching, which is what is right, for reproof or rebuking, which is what is not right, for correction, which is how to get right, and for instruction or training in righteousness, which is how to stay right. A Christian who studies the Bible and applies what he learns will grow in holiness and avoid many pitfalls in the world. If we at Ottyville Church are going to be a church that believes the truth about the Bible, that means we will use God's word in our lives and in our church in these four ways. Lastly, we also see this mark through the picture and metaphor of the pillar and buttress of truth found in 1 Timothy 3, 14 to 15. So I'm not too far to go. I'll give you a few seconds if you want to follow there. First <clears throat> Timothy 3, 14 to 15, this is what God's word says. Although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Pillars and buttresses are elements of architectural genius used to uphold the most meaningful and valuable structures. Without these features, certain buildings would not be able to hold up their weight and would fall over. In a similar way, the Bible is the genius of God it, because it upholds the truth about him and his gospel. I truly believe that the Bible was not God-breathed inspiration that Jesus, the early church, and the apostles claimed it to be we would not be sitting here 2,000 years later, still believing, teaching, and obeying it like we are. The Bible would have passed away centuries ago as would have our faith. Praise God, that's not the case. 
So Timothy would have understood Paul's architectural metaphor. He would only have to look as far as the Temple of Diana in, in Ephesus, which had 127 pillars. You see a picture there. A buttress suggests a strong foundation that would keep a structure from falling over or being swept away. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. And the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. The pillar aspect of the church relates primarily to displaying the truth of God's word, God's word so that all can see it. It can remind us of a statue up on a pedestal. We are to put Jesus on display in our lives so that people are pointed to Jesus and not away from him nor, or to ourselves. So a question for you this morning. When people look at you, who do they see? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see something or someone else? Being the foundation of the truth means that the church protects the truth and makes sure it doesn't fall. When we as a church turn away from the truth, but not believing in and obeying God's word, we compromise our ministry and our mission. And Satan gains a foothold against us and in the world. When we don't obey the truths and commands of God's word, the world calls us hypocrites. And the great commission to pursue, grow, and multiply disciples gets stalled. We must make a stand against sin and apostasy. Apostasy is the act of refusing to continue to follow, obey, or recognize a religious faith. Where have we heard that before? You know, every month or so, I was reading an article the other day about someone who had been a Christian and, and, and a Christian group since like the 1990s and no longer calling himself a Christian. He no longer believes in the truth found in God's word. It's probably not obeying those truths anymore. You know what, I for one am glad that the truth of God's word is not diminished just because other people decide not to follow it or decide not to obey it or recognize it as truth. We as Christians and as the church need to believe in and obey the word of God because by doing so we uphold the truth about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what the world needs to hear, know, and accept. And that's what we're commanded to proclaim and live out. We must proclaim and live out the Bible as the infallible and inerrant word of God. This is the mark of a healthy church. And this is what I hope Audeville Church will be, and I hope you do too. So how does this all apply to us? How will we know if this mark of the church marks Audeville Church? First, we'll want to hear the Bible being preached and taught. Romans 10, 17 says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Do you come excited on a Sunday morning to hear God's word taught in Sunday school and during worship? Next, we'll want to read the Bible. Revelations 1, 3 says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Do you spend time daily in God's word? In the Spiritual Life Journal, there is a read through the Bible in a year guide. I would encourage you to pick one up if you haven't already. They're out there where you get your bulletin. 
and use it to start reading through God's word. Next, we want to study the Bible. Acts 17.11 says, Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those of Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Do you study God's word for yourself? You need to. Please do not take Pastor Stewart's or my word for your son or your Sunday school teacher's word for everything you hear. If there's something we say that doesn't make sense or doesn't come from Scripture, come talk to us. Ask us about it. You, you heard Pastor Stewart this morning. He would welcome that, and I would welcome that as well. Next, we want to memorize the Bible. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Also in the spiritual life journey, you'll find our monthly memory verses that we recite each Sunday. I would encourage you to memorize those scriptures along with us. Next, we'll want to meditate on God's word. Psalm 1, 2 to 3 says this, But whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night? That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Reading, memorizing, and meditating on God's word are important ways that we can know God's word. And when we know God's word, that brings us to the next one, is that we want to obey God's word. 1 John 5, 3 says this. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. When we eat, drink, and sleep God's word, we fall in love with God's word. We fall in love with God and Jesus. And we want to obey God's word. Finally, we want to emphasize Jesus as the hero of the Bible. John 5, 39 says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. One of the main reasons we can't diminish the Bible is because when we do, it diminishes Jesus. And that's something we just can't do. So our desire as a body of believers and as leaders of Bodyville Church is to have a church filled with people who believe in and obey the Bible. And again, it was exciting as we looked at the surveys that you filled out last year from Restore Renewal Ministries that three of the five questions from the scripture-keeping church were in the top 10 of the least difficult for our church. Another one was in the top 15 of the least difficult. I'll read those four questions for you to, rem to remind you. The least difficult of the scripture-keeping questions was, I believe the leaders in our church look to the Bible as the highest authority in our church and lead our church in ways that are consistent with the truths revealed in it. The next least difficult was, I consistently hear things from Scripture and Sunday sermons and other teaching venues that I desire to apply to my life. Those were four and five of ten, respectively. Now, number ten, or the least difficult, was, our church regularly encourages me to read and study the Bible on my own and with other Christians. And the 14th least difficult was, 
The people in our church have the highest, the highest view of Scripture and believe it to be the inspired and inerrant Word of God. These are the things we believe and embrace as a church and as a body of believers. Now that was four out of five. The last question in that section, or the, the fifth question in that section, scored as the 15th most difficult for us as a church. And that question was this. Our church encourages and provides opportunities for accountability and living out the things we are learning together as a church through scripture. So as we got together in our dream retreat, kind of told us that maybe people of Idaville Church are interested in being held accountable to living out the things we are learning together as a church through scripture. And that's awesome, that's great. There are some ways that that already happens. If you're participating, not just attending, but participating in a Sunday school class or a small group, you're being held accountable to the things that are being taught there. That naturally happens there. Another way is to find another Christian and become an accountability partner with them. But you know what? These take intentionality. You must be intentional about being in and participating in a Sunday school group or Sunday school or small group. You must be intentional about finding another Christian to become an accountability partner with. Intentionality is important because without it, a lot of times we don't do it. At our dream retreat at the end of last year, we set some quarterly goals that had to do with the things we're talking about today. The first is we would like to see a 10% increase in the number of people who are attending Sunday school classes and discipleship groups. And that brings us to the first next step on the back of your communication card this morning, which is to be intentional about joining and participating in the Sunday school class or discipleship group. So there's still three weeks left of our Genesis study on Wednesday evenings that you can participate in. And we're getting ready to start a men's discipleship group in February, and hopefully a women's girls discipleship group in, during the spring. <clears throat> These are great opportunities to be intentional about being accountable to living out the things we're learning together as a church. If you're interested in learning more about Sunday School or the different discipleship opportunities we currently have or that are coming up, just make a note on your communication card and Pastor Stewart and I will be in contact with you. <clears throat> the second is we want to see a 10% increase. We'd like to see a 10% increase in the pursuit of holiness through salvations, baptism, and accountability. So another opportunity for accountability is by participating in the commitments found in the Spiritual Life Journal. Earlier I highlighted the Read Through the Bible in a Year plan and the monthly memory verses. So in 2021, I was an accountability partner with seven or eight people here in our congregation. And uh, I'd love to be an accountability partner with everybody here in this church. But it's a two-way street. I'm not just holding them accountable. I want them to hold me accountable as well. So if you're interested in that and you want to talk to one of these that experienced it last year, just let me know and we'll put you in contact with one of them. But also it doesn't have to be with me. You can be in an accountability relationship with any other Christian. It doesn't even have to be here at Idaville Church. But we would at least love to know that you're in one because we feel that it's important as we continue to pursue holiness as a church body. And that brings us to the second next step, which is to be held accountable to one or more of the commitments in the 
Spiritual Life Journal. If you'd like to learn more about that, learn more about being in an accountability relationship, again, just make a note on your communication card. We'll get in contact with you. As I close this morning, I want to highlight one of our core values that you see on the front of your bulletin this morning. <clears throat> I think it's the first one. It says, we live, model, and share the importance of being biblically grounded. If we're going to be biblically grounded as a church, as a body of believers, we need to know, obey, and believe God's word. The only way we can accomplish this is by reading and studying God's word for ourselves and with other Christians. And that brings us to our last next step, just to know, obey, and believe God's word by reading and studying it myself and with other believers. These marks of a healthy church and the next step, take intentionality. And I pray that you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you as you prayerfully consider them. So as the praise team comes, please have a final song. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and God-breathed word given to us through these men that you inspired through your Holy Spirit. Let us not neglect its reading, its studying, and its memorizing, etc. Help us to grow more each day in knowledge and obedience to it. Do not let us believe what we want about your word, but through reading and study, help us to understand and believe exactly what you intended it to say. In Jesus' name, amen.